On episode 148 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, our special guest is Chick Ludwig, sports talk host over at 700 WLW and iHeartMedia Cincinnati, and former Bengals beat writer for the Dayton Daily News. We'll talk Bengals, Cincinnati, radio and journalism, and more on this episode. Welcome to the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. This is a weekly podcast covering all sports in Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio. From Lima to the Ohio River and Northern Kentucky, from Eastern Indiana to Madison County and all points in between, this is your source of local Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports. Visit the LeeWMowen.com slash podcast to find your favorite podcasting platform. Music created with the Splash app. Time for another episode with your host, Lee W. Mowen. And on the phone right now is Chick Lugwick calling in from Cincinnati, Ohio, U.S. of A. Chick, good afternoon. How are you? Lee, fantastic, man. Great hearing your voice. Thanks so much for the invite on your podcast, man. I'm all excited. I'm very excited, too. Uh, You were the former beat writer for the Cincinnati Bengals for Dayton Daily News, and you hold it down in Cincinnati Radio with uh, Sports Talk. Yeah, uh, they gave me an opportunity back uh, when I, right after I left the newspaper in 09. So it, it's, been, it's been great. And uh, right now, things are a little slow. There's no sports going on. But uh, yeah, hope to be back on the air uh, come, uh, come July when the Reds start playing baseball. We'll do some extra innings and hopefully do some, uh, some more sports talk. Here's hoping, Chick. Here's hoping. So let's yes, begin. Sir. Let's begin. Where are you originally from? I am from uh, the Queen City of Cincinnati, the west side, the best side, the <laughs> Price Hill section. And uh, I walked to grade school at St. William right down the street. Then I walked to Elder High School, an all-boys Catholic school. Walked. My first bus ride was at The Ohio State University going out the west campus. So... Uh, but, yeah, the west side is Cincinnati, and, uh, man, I close my eyes, and I'm sitting on the front porch of our house at West 8th and Rosemont reading sports books and just dreaming as a kid of uh, being a sports writer, traveling the country, and writing, interviewing interesting people and writing sports, man. It, uh, it's always been a dream, and I got to live it. West End, very uh, beautiful part of Cincinnati, also home to the Pit, which is constantly yes, talked the about. Pit. Yeah, I was uh, I was the uh, student manager for uh, football and basketball all four years at Elder, and uh, I only wrote a couple stories for the school newspaper, the Purple Quill. Mm-hmm. But all that background, all that uh, experience working with players, you know, fixing cleats. Uh, you know, taking care of some injuries, taping ankles, uh, helped me later on in my journalism career. You know, just getting to know the, you know, the pain, the suffering, the joys, the, uh, the heartbreak that an athlete goes through. It helped me with my journalism career. And also, I got a lot of respect for Elder as well because they have ice hockey, and that's the sport I broadcast the most. So it's always nice seeing Elder uh, when Centerville plays them. Also, St. X. Oh, fantastic. Too, yes. So. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely a sport you got to watch live. Hockey. Oh, yeah. No doubt because television doesn't do it any justice. Yeah. A quick question for you. Since you're um, a former Elder Panther, 
How far is it from Elder High School to uh, Northland Ice Center? That's something I've always wondered because I don't know exactly where Elder to is. To Nor- Northland Ice Center up mm-hmm. at, uh, like up off Austin Pike, is that right? Or No, that's South or, Metro. Uh, um, it's 42 and old 126. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, on the west side here, gosh, it takes a half hour for me to get over to the uh, the radio station in Montgomery, really? you know, from uh, – yeah, from the west side of Cincinnati. So uh, I would imagine, you know, a half hour or so. I'm, I'm just not sure. But, uh, yeah, you know, people are looking for ice time. And, uh, gosh, it, nowadays you talk about changes. Okay, when I was the football student manager for Elder, uh, they didn't have, we didn't have a practice facility. We had to get on a bus and go down to what was called Hampton Park, down by the river, down by Boldface Park where Pete Rose grew up mm-hmm. and he had to go through like this really poor area, the projects and uh, uh, trailer park and to get to this football field on the river. And we had to load the, the blocking dummies and everything on a bus and uh, take the bus down, you know, a good half hour ride. And now they've got a beautiful practice facility. Uh, their lunches during the two-a-days in the summers are catered. And I wow. still remember me and an assistant coach opening up big cans of Campbell's uh, <laughs> chicken noodle soup and the guys bringing in a sack lunch. Uh, oh, it, it's all changed now. Like I said, the, the parents and, and the, the, the moms, they cater lunches. It's just unbelievable now. That's outstanding. Uh, you touched on it a little bit, but – when did you exactly know this is what you wanted to be in, in journalism? You know, I, I always kind of dreamed of, you know, I mentioned sports writing, but growing up, man, I always wanted to be like a play-by-play bro- you know, sports broadcaster. But it really didn't hit me until my freshman year at Ohio State. Uh, I, I went to Ohio State on the Evans Scholarship. It's a, it's a scholarship for golf caddies, an academic scholarship. So we had a fraternity of golf caddies on academic scholarships. <laughs> and I started out majoring in, I, I wanted to major in communications. So my freshman year, but I, I learned quickly that there was no practical experience with those classes. So I had a couple of buddies that wanted to go into journalism. Well, I find out that J school had three different sequences broadcasting, news editorial, and public relations. So I quickly jumped into that because the Ohio State uh, newspaper, The Lantern, was tied into news editorial. And uh, I originally wanted to do the broadcast sequence, but you know what? I I got into uh, news editorial, and then that's when my dream really began. Freshman year at Ohio State, man, I wanted to be a sports writer. And – Back in the day, you must have seen some great games at Elder, at Ohio State. Oh, yeah. I I went to school with Archie Griffin, and we graduated together at at St. John Arena, uh, winter quarter of 1976. We walked together. And uh, when I would see Archie, you know, with the Bengals or whatever, we we would chat about it. He would recognize me. Uh, We weren't, you know, good friends or any stretch of the imagination, but we had crossed paths. And, uh, wow, what a four years. And uh, I got to go as a fan to the 1974 Rose Bowl. And that was during an energy crisis. Uh, I had to take a bus to 
Cleveland, and then we flew out of Cleveland to LAX, and then uh, me and my buddy, we did not spend time, you know, like on a Ohio State caravan or anything. We stayed with relatives, his relatives for a couple days, my relatives for, for a few days, and then we went to the game, the Rose Bowl. Ohio State won that game. And then their next Rose Bowl win was 90. That was in 1974. Mm-hmm. Their next Rose Bowl win was 97 when they beat Arizona State. So I got to go to that and help cover it with Mark Katz and Gary Noon. And so I was at two straight uh, Ohio State Rose Bowl victories and uh, very, very memorable. I mean, the first one you went to, you were a student at OSU. And the second one, you were in your dream field as a reporter. Journalism. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, oh, God. When when Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler say that it's the most awesome setting for college football, it, it definitely is. You've got the San Gabriel Mountains in the background. You've got the sun setting. Oh, my gosh, the pink, the orange, the uh, oh, the sky. It's it just the hues that you see. It, and it's in a canyon, and it's really cool because when I went out as a fan – we were at the Rose Parade, and then we walked to the stadium a couple miles, and then you just kind of go down into a canyon, and that's where the Rose Bowl sits, and it's just spectacular. That's really cool. It's really cool. I I know there's a lot of uh, stadiums out west that are just scenic, I mean, especially towards, like, the Rockies and the Pacific Northwest. It's just it's something you don't yeah, the, see. Uh, much around yeah the Bengals got to play at Arizona when the Arizona Cardinals before they built uh, their stadium in Glendale they were on the campus of uh, Arizona State University and one of the Bengals games that I covered before they built that new stadium was at ASU and that was uh, really cool you know out uh, out out in Tempe so yeah it's uh but yeah Ohio Stadium was special and the fall of 96 helping Mark Katz cover Ohio State football that uh, that fall and going to Notre Dame, going to Iowa, where we went to the Field of Dreams movie site the day before Ohio State, Iowa, and uh, just spectacular. Now, you mentioned the Cincinnati Bengals. How did that opportunity pop up? Okay. I covered high school sports for eight years. Okay. okay. And then I, I wanted the University of Dayton basketball beat. Really bad, you know, and uh, I'll never forget my boss, Ralph Morrow, calling me in because Cy Burek had died, and uh, that uh, the, that beat was open, and uh, Gary Noon became the columnist. So, uh, yeah, the, the UD beat was open, and Ralph called me in and said, look, I'm putting Bucky Albers on the Dayton beat. Wright State is going Division One. They need a good, young, aggressive reporter, they're going Division One. you're my guy on Wright State. So I did preps for eight years, Wright State basketball, and, and really Wright State athletics, because I covered a lot of baseball games with Ron Nishwitz and uh, even some volleyball and just Wright State athletics for 10 years. And then I'm in the press box with Hal McCoy at a Reds game at Riverfront Stadium. Uh, this was in July of 97, and I get a phone call from the boss and he said you go when you get out of there tonight you're going to be at georgetown college tomorrow morning you're on the bengals beat temporarily you're the interim because uh alex marvez left for uh for denver colorado so 
that's how the Bengals beat began. And I let them know that I, you know, I wanted a professional beat. And uh, so I was the interim for uh, that year. And then, man, I got grilled, but I finally got uh, the beat full time. And I did that for 12 years. So it was a nice 30 year, uh, 30 year career, eight on high schools, 10 on the Wright State and colleges, and then 12 on the NFL Bengals beat. And historically, that was some good times for high school sports in Dayton. Wright State, you mentioned, was just getting up to Division One, and just a couple seasons removed from winning the national championship against the District of Columbia. And also the Nunner Center was going to be open in uh, Oh, absolutely, so. yeah. Man, those yeah, and uh, I lived all through that, and just uh, and then their their NCAA run. They did get beat by Indiana, but that was a thrill to cover that team. And uh, we got to go to San Juan, uh, Puerto Rico, for uh, for a holiday tournament. So I spent a week in San Juan at Thanksgiving. That it was just awesome. Yeah, uh, Tom Archdeacon and I we ran up to. Uh, Old San Juan, where uh, Ernest Hemingway hung out. Uh, we went up there like every day when we weren't riding. So, uh, man, just got to do. There's a little bit of Forrest Gump in the Chickster. You know, I got to do some really cool, some really cool things, man. And I can only imagine what's changed from your time covering Preps Wright State to today. I mean, I think in Dayton there was a couple high schools that closed in that time frame, and. It's it's amazing to hear about history and what happened in Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, when I got to the Dayton Daily News in uh, 1979, Roosevelt had closed, uh, but yeah, Roth was still alive. They were starting to, you know, uh, yeah, condense condense everything. But man, getting to cover Roth and Dunbar, and then uh, and then Centerville and Wayne. Uh, wow, you just couldn't go wrong on a, on a high school football Friday night. Do you have any games that stick with you in your time of coverage? Uh, yeah, uh, two in particular. You know, I'll never forget the state championship that Jackson Center won. And uh, now I'm trying to think of the year here. Um, it, it could have been, uh, gosh, was it uh, – Oh, you know, was it early 80s or uh, whenever? But but Jackson Center wins the Class A state championship. And uh, a kid comes off the bench by the name of Jeff Teeters, a, a, a reserve. Doesn't play the whole game. He winds up hitting the winning shot. And Jackson Center had beaten Columbus Worley. And I think they were number one in the state and uh, nationally ranked and everything. Jackson Center beats them in the in – the, uh, in the semifinals at State, and then beats Graysville Skyview with Jeff Teeters nailing a, uh, a last-second shot to win the state tournament. And, and then going to Jackson Center like for the celebration, the kids are on the back of a flatbed trailer. That was just spectacular. And, uh, and then I run into Jeff Teeters at a volleyball match years later at Marymount High School. He's the line judge because his daughter's playing. And I'm reffing. And he pulls out his wallet, and he's got the – he still has the snippet of the net that they cut down at, uh, at St. John Arena. How cool is that? Oh, that's, so, that's fantastic. Yeah. Is that yeah. the 1985 then, run for the Tigers? 
you know what? Uh, I think that that that's it. You know, it was right, yeah, right in there. And then, uh, gosh, football wise, I still remember Kirk Herbstreet uh, scoring a touchdown at Princeton Stadium to beat Moeller. That was uh, that was awesome. And a uh, a Wayne Centerville game where I go out to Wayne to do a story, and uh, they ask me what I think. And okay, I'm at Wayne. The uh, and I said, hey, I think Wayne's going to win. Then I go to Centerville, and one of the you know local reporters, what do you think's going to happen? I think Centerville's going to win. We're here. <laughs> here, my prediction winds up in the Courier, the Huber Heights Courier. And so Bob Gregg, the coach, puts that up on a bulletin board. I had no idea, okay, that that wound up on a bulletin board. Well, Centerville wins, and I'm in the locker room after the game. Bob Gregg comes up to me, and I'm on deadline. Okay, I just want a few quotes so I can get out of there and get back downtown to write the story. Here, Bob Gray comes up to me. It was a cold night. He starts wrapping my scarf around my neck. Okay, I had it kind of draped on my shoulders. He starts wrapping around, and he tries to pick me up by my neck and my chin with the, uh, with the scarf. He was not happy. But, uh, <laughs> hey, I said, Bob, uh, hey, uh, let me go. I got a story to write. You know, we'll take care of you. So, uh, oh, God race back downtown on a Friday night, get your story in. And uh, I, I definitely remember that. So I, I had to be careful on what I said around the, around a reporter. <laughs> so they, yeah, they put the prediction in the, the Huber Heights courier and wow, it was bulletin board material for the uh, Centerville Elks. But it was right in the Centerville paper. I promise. <laughs> oh man. Uh, Yes, some somehow the Centerville folks got a hold of the Huber Heights paper. Now I don't know, you know, maybe it was in a Centerville uh, paper also, you know, with the, you know, the uh, the neighborhood news or whatever. And uh, but all I know is it wound up on Centerville's bulletin board, and and uh, it was cool because they had they had a guy that I think his name was Bob Gilman who would read the stats after the game, and the players would all be jumping around, stat cat, stat cat. <laughs> and uh, he would read off the stats of who, how many rushing yards, how many passing yards. And uh, one other cool thing from high schools, uh, when Herb Street, Kirk Herb Street, was getting ready to go into his senior year, we chose him to be the cover of our local high school football program, uh, you know, at the Dayton Daily News. <laughs> and so I picked Kirk up at the high school locker room at Centerville, drove him to Wilmington College, to have his picture taken with Boomer Esiason. And while we were waiting, uh, uh, Bill Shepard was the photographer, and while we were waiting around for him to get the shot and that, i go out running passes and Boomer's throwing the ball at me and and uh, Kirk's throwing the football. And, and he goes, uh, Kirk, where are you going to school? And he goes, oh, I haven't decided yet. He goes, oh, man, you ought to come to Maryland. There's, there's Boomer trying to recruit Kirk Herbstreet to Maryland. And uh, Kirk told me, he says, Chick, you'll be the first phone call I make when I decide. And it was on a Friday afternoon. I'm getting ready to walk out of the office. My phone rings when we had phones on our desks. And I pick it up. It's Kirk. He says, Chick, I told you you'd be the first one to know. I'm going to Ohio State. And uh, he was John Cooper's first recruit at for the Ohio State Buckeyes. I see. I mean, that's a lot of great stories. I mean – I feel like people forget how much great uh, how how grateful we should be for great sports in Cincinnati and Dayton. 
Oh, no doubt. You know, Ron Harper, you know, got to cover a game of his at uh, at Kaiser High School and to watch his career blossom at Miami University and then going on to play for the Cavaliers, the Chicago Bulls. Oh, man, we're just coming off the uh, the last dance. And uh, Ron Harper played a critical role for the uh, – yeah, he was just awesome. I actually interviewed Steve Baker a couple weeks back on this podcast, and we were talking a little bit about that. That's a uh, small world, isn't it? Beautiful. You better believe it, man. And, uh, oh, uh, great games with, you know, you just wish those local rivalries, you know, Wright State plays Miami. I don't know if Dayton plays Miami anymore. I don't think they do. You know, in basketball, those were absolute wars. And uh, I know I've said it on the air a few times. I've kind of coined the phrase, Millette Hall at Miami University. I call it the world's largest living room because it's so comfortable. You can take a blanket and a pillow up to the upper deck and take a little snooze. You know, they've got to get that place rocking like it was when Ron Harper played and uh, Wally Zerbiak played. Those were the days. Those were the days of uh, my Yes, days. they were. We talked a lot about journalism, and currently you're a sports talk host with iHeart in Cincinnati. How did you wind up in the world of radio? Well, uh, as my tenure at the Dayton Daily News was coming to a close, and they had offered uh, early retirement, when you reach 30 years and age 55, and I was right right there, they offered early retirement. So, And I was going to take it. And it's not that I didn't want to stop writing or anything like that. It's just I, I wanted to do something different. You know, the, the deadline pressure, I kind of had enough of that. And... Uh, you know, my career had kind of come full circle uh, with high schools, colleges, and pros. And uh, so I'm at a news conference with Marvin Lewis and uh, Dave Yiddy Armbruster, who's really the – he's the sports guru here. He's the sports director of all the sports stations at iHeartMedia Cincinnati. I told him, I said, Yid, I'm getting ready to retire, and I get interviewed a lot by radio stations and stuff and – and they seemed to like me, and I said, it's something I'd like to try. So if you're ever in a pinch, somebody's on vacation, and you get in a pinch, I'd love to give it a shot. Well, never in a million years did I think I would get a phone call, okay? But here, a few months later or whenever, I get a call from Tony Bender, the program director at ESPN 1530, here in, uh, in Kenwood. Can you fill in for Mo Wager like next Wednesday? And they're, okay. You know, and it just started then, and then we had a uh, – they asked me to do a Monday morning quarterback show during the football season on Fox Sports 1360, which is uh, right down the hall from WLW. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we did that for seven years, the Monday morning quarterback. And and then I love baseball, too. I got to do some Reds extra innings and uh, some sports talk on weekends or filling in for Lance or Mo, and it's just been uh, – it's been great. That's how it all started. I see. I mean, it's, like I mentioned, it's a small world, and it's pretty amazing, you know, who you know, how things happen like that. You know, you're right. And, you know, I just think uh, for the fans out there listening, and I don't know if they remember, but I was kind of the thorn in Marvin Lewis's side. I, I looked at myself <laughs> as, the, as the, uh, uh, the voice of the fan. And, and people ask me, Chick, ask Marvin this. Why didn't he do this? And I would relay 
some of those questions right at him on uh, on Mondays, man. And those were uh, those got spirited to say the least. <laughs> and uh, a quick story there: when we were in Washington D.C. and it was a preseason game with the Redskins at uh, FedEx Field, a guy from the Washington Times told me you haven't arrived until Marvin Lewis calls you, wakes you up on a weekday morning in the wee hours, and he's mad about something. <laughs> you haven't arrived. Well, it was the year Maurice Claret came out for the draft from Ohio State, and uh, I just uh, I wrote a little blurb, only about three or four paragraphs, and I basically said, uh, Bengals fans don't have to worry about Claret joining the Bengals, and I quoted uh, a quote from, from uh, Marvin, and uh, he didn't address Claret directly, but it was all, you know, I mean, I quoted him, and it was directed at Claret, he just didn't mention his name. So uh, the next morning, huh, the, the morning it appeared in the paper, boom, I get a wake-up call at like 7 in the morning, and uh, all I could hear was, uh, Chick, this is Jamie, that's his secretary, I'm passing you through to Marvin. And all I heard was screaming, what in the hell are you writing that in the paper for this morning? He said, you're in my office Wednesday after the news conference, in the open locker room, my office. And they're okay, coach. We'll see you then. And uh, when that happened, he started screaming so loud, I think it scared the secretaries. And uh, and I just basically told him, hey, I'm, I'm the voice of the fan, and uh, I got 100% backing from my boss. This is exactly what you said. And then we kind of cleared the air, and I'm walking out. He says, you're going to be in Seattle this weekend? I said, yes, sir. I'll he said, I'll see you then. We shook hands, and that was it. So, but I always, you know, I, I wasn't going to let him slide, you know? So it was always, those Monday news conferences were spirited to say the least. That's a really cool story too, about how you cleared the air with coach Lewis and then, Hey, you're going to be in Seattle. That's a really cool story. Yeah. And, uh, and later on I was doing like a alumni newsletter, you know, that uh, alums would send me you know, updates on what they were doing and that. And I would send it out to all the coaches and uh, circulated among all the uh, the alums. And uh, Marvin, once I left the beat and I would still show up at different things, you know, like training camp and that, he would say, yeah, the alum, you know, I'm like the pseudo alumni relations director. <laughs> and uh, as far as a dream job would go, <laughs> alumni relations director of the Bengals, or another voice of NFL films. Would that be awesome? But, hey, we're good enough to dream, man. We're good enough to dream. Those would be some pretty cool jobs. I mean, especially the Bengals. Look back oh, yeah. History. Yeah, I love the alums. I love the alums. And I know it's kind of morbid to say, but uh, and we can get into this on how the book happened and everything, but I started accumulating uh, alumni phone numbers and emails and I, and that's kind of my passion. My, my hobby is staying in touch with the alums. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I keep a detailed list of deceased Bengals players, you know, where I list, uh, their college, the years they played for the Bengals, their position and their date of death and cause of death. And I've got 52 right now. And the latest was Sam Weish dying right after, uh, the first of the year. The late, great Sam Weish, brilliant, just brilliant. 
And that was a sad death, too, considering, you know, how much he meant to Cincinnati. And he ticked off the Browns fans with his speech in the late 80s. Oh, yeah. And then for him to go back up there, you know, and, and be uh, – he was in a dunking booth up there raising money. Yeah, I, after, I love that story. After that – that was just awesome. He was an absolute prince in gym shoes, no doubt. And his son's uh, assistant coach at St. X, isn't he? You know what? I, I'm really not sure. I'm really not sure, but you know what? There was no notice about a funeral or anything for Sam. I think it was just family only, and uh, I don't think there was any kind of public viewing. Hmm. But uh, it was uh, a terrible uh, melanoma. Uh, yeah, he had definitely he had what he had a new heart put in him, you know, a heart valve or a, a new heart that, that kept him alive, and then here melanoma gets him. So just uh, really, really sad. But what a what a great great coach and a great man. You got to a future question I have wrote down here, but how did the opportunity to write Legends Cincinnati Bengals, the men, the deeds, the consequences pop up? Well, uh, when the stadium was the new stadium in two thousand, okay, and as it was approaching the the opening game at Paul Brown Stadium I went to my boss well in advance and I said you know what how about writing me writing like just like a 10 inch blurb every day for 50 days leading up to the opening game because they were playing the Browns okay one day a Cincinnati Bengal another day a Cleveland Brown back and forth and uh Thank goodness for one of the uh, alumni directors up with Cleveland that set me up and gave me phone numbers for guys like Lou Groza, uh, Dick Mojalewski, uh, Greg Pruitt. Uh, oh, just so, yeah, back and forth. You know, one day it's Tommy Casanova or uh, Leapin' Lamar Parrish or, uh, you know, Dave Lapham. And then the next day, uh, gosh, you know, a, a Cleveland Brown and uh, Dick Ambrose, uh, linebacker, now a judge up in uh, Cuyahoga County. You know, it was just so much fun to do. And uh, so that 50-part series, and that wound up winning a uh, national award from the, uh, from the uh, Pro Football Writers Association of America. That was, that was great. But uh, just learning the alums – and then keeping track of them on there, you know what, this this could be a book. So I wound up uh, going to the editors at Orange Fraser Press. They liked the idea. And so we picked out, I think it was like 54 Bengals legends. And uh, we went from there. And it was published in 2004. And, uh, yeah, they had just uh, an unbelievable kickoff at uh, Brookwood Commons. And we had John, uh, John Stowe for the original Bengal comeback with uh, guys like uh, Lewis Breeden and uh, Isaac Curtis and uh, Dave Lapham. So what what a night that was. It has to be so much fun talking to former Bengals and Bengals alum, and especially Dave Lapham, too, just because this, oh, this is the second the episode in a week that I've talked about Dave Lapham. I interviewed Dan Horton last week. but Yeah. Yeah. I... Well, what's so funny, what is so funny is here I am, uh, you know, when I covered Jeff Blake, 
you know, we didn't really get along all that well. I mean, he, you know, the, the team struggled. He was so much fun to watch. And here, we're Facebook friends, and we're tight. And uh, it was funny because I get a message from him. He says, Chick, I'd like to talk to Joe Burrow, you know, just about the city and what he can expect, you know, about the management, you know, nothing negative or anything, just what to expect coming in. I'd like to talk to him. So I hit up. I don't know how to get a hold of Joe Burrow, but his dad and I are Facebook friends, and I let his dad know that Jeff Blake would love to talk to him. Here's Jeff Blake's contact information. He passed it on to Joe. And I haven't heard back from Blake yet, but uh, hopefully they hook up. And, yeah, and one night I got Blake on the interviewing him, and we got Carl Pickens and Darnay Scott on with him. So we just had a blast uh, with those guys. Yeah. Chick, how excited are you that Joe Burrow is a Cincinnati Bengal? Out of my mind excited. Not just because of the talent that he brings, but, man, he represents hope for this franchise. And I'm there. Get him protected and keep him protected. And and then secretly, you know, being in Ohio State, I mean, if we don't have football this fall, I will curl up in the fetal position on the kitchen floor in my jammies, okay, if I don't have Ohio State football. I mean, that's how much I love it. The silver lining to, for losing to Clemson, which should never have happened because the Buckeyes dominated that game, I would have almost hated to go against Joe Burrow in either rooting against him. You know, uh, so to see him torch Oklahoma and then torch uh, Clemson was just a thing of beauty. But, man, he represents hope. I'm very, very excited for him and this franchise to get it turned around and to start winning and hopefully on on the road to a, a, a Super Bowl. Actually, um, I think if I don't have a high school football or any football to watch this fall, I think I'll be doing the same thing. But yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I forget who said it in Cincinnati media. Was it Paul Doherty saying that? This is kind of like the last big change that people should expect, something like that. I don't remember, but I'm I'm really excited for Burrow, and I'm really excited how the draft turned out for the Bengals as well. You know, I I am too. Uh, the one question, you know, and I and I love Joe Burrow and T Higgins is almost a clone of AJ Green, so I'm hoping that he can stay healthy. Okay, because he's he's left a couple of games nicked up, but T Higgins a phenomenal talent. Logan Wilson, the third-round pick, the linebacker out of Wyoming, I hope he works out because if he doesn't, and Josh Jones, the offensive tackle from the University of Houston, who got plucked just, uh, what, about seven draft picks after Logan Wilson, he went. Uh, Josh Jones went to Arizona, offensive tackle in the third round. If he would blossom and Logan Wilson struggles, uh, the Bengals are in for uh, you know a lot of criticism because – You've got to fortify that offensive line. Now the Bengals did. They like this guy from Kansas. And uh, Hakeem, I don't even want to try to pronounce his last name. But uh, I, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I think it's like Adeniche. Yeah. 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 So I'm glad they got him and everything I've read from the coaches and that, they love him. So I'm there. Hey, that's great. He's a six-rounder. And uh, – 
hope he can uh, contribute. So, yeah, uh, but I'm excited about the draft and the, the signings that they had in the offseason and to get this thing turned around. And it, I mean, when you add a lot of free agents, it does take time. And gosh, you want to get them together. And one of the best signs is that A.J. Green, who's on a one-year deal, is the franchise tag player, wants to work with Joe Burrow. Because as a franchise tag player, you don't start getting paid until the first week of the season, basically. And uh, there's no signing bonus. And, uh, yeah, you'll make close to $18 million. but And that's why NFL players want the longer-term deal. They want the uh, the signing bonus, the guaranteed money. And, yeah, it is guaranteed, but he won't see any of it until uh, the season actually starts. And also I like the the teachership, if you will, the um, oh, yeah. mentorship rather, that uh, Chad Johnson or Chad Ochocinco gave to A.J. Green, and now A.J. Green said he'll do the same for Higgins. So I'm I'm really excited. I'd like to see Green back on the field and, you know, stay healthy. Oh, I'd yeah. Like see what Higgins can do. I, I like to see what the Bengals' offense can do full strength. No doubt. Like, I, I like to tell folks that Mike Brown only thinks about quarterbacks three times a day, morning, noon, and night. And uh, so, yeah, Joe Burrow, glad to have him here. So glad. What was your take on last season, the 2019 season for the Bengals? 2-14 and 14 campaign, uh, very tough wins-loss record, but we did get the overall number one pick, and we got the quarterback of the future in Joe Burrow. What's your take? You know, that's you're exactly right. If they hadn't re- of replaced Andy Dalton, with Ryan Finley, and, you know, and they lose those, uh, what, three games. Uh, they could have won one or two of those and then gotten blown out as far as uh, the number one overall pick. So when you look at it, that's the silver lining there. But, yeah, the Bengals at times were competitive, especially in the opener in Seattle. They yeah. played so well. They had a lead. And then Russell Wilson goes deep and <laughs> – and then that kind of set the tone. And I think the Bengals threw the ball on their first seven downs in that game. So teams study you. They, they, they get film and they study you so they knew, opponents knew what was coming down. And then to have A.J. Green go down the first hour of the, of the preseason, you know, at uh, the University of Dayton's Welcome Stadium. The season was over within – an hour into it into Zach Taylor's tenure as coach but and that the players out. seem to yeah the players seem to like him respect him and now hey let's uh, let's get it on it was all a learning experience last year now it's time and that broke my heart i mean seeing the number uh, the uh, wr1 go down in Dayton like that and whew, oh. that was that was not pretty yeah it, it wasn't. And and then the negative publicity, you know, that, you know, Welcome Stadium and Dayton had, you know, yeah. that uh, when we know that, uh, I mean, it's a great place to live, work, and play too, Dayton, Ohio. And uh, to have that happen to A.J., very, very unfortunate. 
I mean, that was the first time in a while the Bengals were in Dayton. I think the last time they were in West Carrollton at that new yeah. artificial Oh, turf. yeah, they went West Carrollton. They've been to West Carrollton. They've been to uh, – oh, uh, Centerville was the first one. Ooh. And then also a Springboro. So – but yeah, uh, West Carrollton was the last was the last time, and uh, I remember broadcasting live from W O for W O N E there, and uh, a good time was had by all. That was great. And really, the Bengals don't have a shortage on great fields to pick. I mean, you got Miamisburg. I mean, in Dayton alone, Huber Heights would be pretty nice, I think, if you want to go farther north. Cincinnati's got nice fields as well, and. Hopefully. Well, they did their – yeah, they were in Georgetown for what? Uh, I don't know how many years. Uh, uh, it a was, good, it a was good a while. 12 to 13, yeah. And then, you know, Wilmington before that, then uh, then Georgetown College. So they branched out to central Kentucky. And then they did go up to Cruz Stadium once up in Columbus. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they try to branch out to uh, to reach out to their fans, which I think is a good idea. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. for the Dayton, Ohio market, it's tough because it's Bengals and Browns. and You know, it Browns, really is. The Browns yeah. have been around. Yeah. Yeah. They've been around longer, the Browns have, so that oh. definitely helps. Hey, when I was a kid growing up in Cincinnati, born in 1954, the Bengals weren't born until I was 14 years old in 1968. So I was a Cleveland Browns diehard fan growing up running home from church, uh, listening to Ken Coleman and uh, Warren Lahr and uh, Frank Gleiber uh, live from Cleveland Municipal Stadium. It was it was awesome. And the Browns were the team. They were on a statewide network. And then once the Bengals were born, a lot of folks in Dayton and Columbus stick with the Cleveland Browns. So that's the beauty of – that was the beauty of being a sports writer in Dayton. God, we covered Ohio State, not only our local colleges, but gosh, big time on Ohio State, big time on the Browns. And I will say this, I had the Browns beat for like three years when Bill Belichick started as the head coach. And those, yeah. and those were the heyday of Browns football. It's It's been rough since the return back in the late 90s. but Oh, yeah. Hey, Can you imagine? Well, if Bill Belichick – had remained that head coach there during uh, yeah, during that break. Oh, man. just Or if they had stayed, you know, had the stadium built, whatever. It's just that I think the fans hated him so much, and it really stemmed, a lot of it stemmed from cutting Bernie Kosar yeah. and then just getting rid of him, you know, not putting him on the bench, just knifing him, you know, that, uh, ooh. So, and then... Art Modell moving to Baltimore. Ted Marchabroda was his head coach. So, yeah, and then the Ravens, <laughs> the former Browns, wind up winning a Super Bowl. So, uh, amazing how uh, how it all works, brother. It it really is, and you wonder if Cleveland stays put if they win that Super Bowl the same year uh, Baltimore would have. Oh, I know, I know. It's, but. Uh, Mike Brown once said that Cleveland Municipal Stadium was the worst place to watch a pro football game and the best place (laughs) because it had so much history. Getting there early on a Sunday 
and fans forming a tunnel at the players' parking area, and then the players walking through a tunnel of fans inside that old gray stadium. Oh, yeah. If the walls could talk, man, yeah. If walls could talk. Um, Yeah, yeah. 1964 world champ, 1964 NFL champions, and uh, the Cleveland Browns, and they were a dynasty when Paul Brown was there, you know, winning the All-America Conference four straight years. They were in championship games ten consecutive years. It's, it's crazy how successful Paul Brown was. And to think that he did it at the college level and the NFL level, that's, that's not really heard of this day and age. Oh, that's right. When he, he coached at uh, the Great Lakes Naval Station, and he plucked a bunch of uh, military guys out, and he found those guys. Oh man, the Marion Motleys and of the world. Oh, just uh, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. He could see a guy and say, "Hey, he's playing tight end in college. He's a he's a running back." Like Booby Clark became a fullback. He was a tight end at Bethune Cookman. He sees Ken Riley as the quarterback at uh, FAMU in uh, in Florida, and he's a cornerback. So Tommy Casanova was a running back at uh, LSU, and here he's a he's a strong safety in uh, you know with the with the Bengals. So oh, just Paul Brown was a genius, and the NFL's 100 game changers. He is number one on the list. Paul Brown, as he should be. I mean, yes, he turned pro football from being a part time job into a full-time job with the classroom, with the, uh, with the playbook, with the invention of the uh, face mask, uh, the, yeah, the draw play. It, it just, it goes on and on. The father of professional football. And there's no NFL award named in his honor. The, it should be the NFL Paul Brown Coach of the Year Award. It's just the NFL Coach of the Year Award. Yeah, I... You know, because you got... You got the Lamar Hunt Trophy for the AFC, and uh, you've got the Lombardi Trophy for the Super Bowl champ, you know, and the ha- what the Hallis Trophy for the NFC. I think so. so. Yeah, yeah, that's it's a little bit strange. Now you mentioned that. I mean, oh, can I mention an antidote though? Uh, it was an Enquirer article talking about how the Bengals and the Eagles and Houston Texans should change their jerseys. And they have a throwback jersey for Cincinnati. And I'm looking like, why Why is, uh, oh, who was it? Was it eight? No, it was Geno Atkins. Why is Geno Atkins yeah. in Cleveland Browns where I was like, oh, it's, wait, that's Cincinnati's well, look before yeah. the Tiger Stripes. It really was because Paul Brown tried to, he tried to emulate everything from Cleveland to Cincinnati. It was a very plain look. I like the look. And the white tiger look on the Bengals uniforms, that would be awesome. They do need to change. They really do. Now, I would love a helmet change. I really would. But that was the one thing. I would love an orange and black flying tiger on the side of a black helmet. But the one thing that Jack Brennan, the PR director, told us, that he believed one thing that will never change is the striped helmet. So, And, and I'll disagree on that because I think the striped helmet is iconic in NFL. I mean... You know, it, it, it really is. And when that came into being, they went to the Super Bowl in 1981. Exactly. So, 
Now, yeah. a, a white striped tiger helmet, like to match the color Ross jerseys, I'd like to see that. But oh, yeah, I, I like the Boomer's Eyes and Age look. You know, where you had the bangle stripes down the sides and at the shoulders. That's it. And I think he said the jerseys that Cincinnati has now are too busy. And I was like, eh, I don't know. But uh, yeah, that's my jersey talk for for this episode. Well, and, and I mean, they they've had these now. Oh, my goodness. I've been off the beat for over 12 years, you know, on a daily basis. So these these uniforms, they date, good gracious, back to like 2004 or 5 without me looking it up. But that's uh, – they are a good 14, 15 years old, man. Yeah, I, I think 2004 is exactly on the dot. And, yeah, I, I think the Bengals would do good with a jersey – you know, change, but we'll see if that happens in 2021. Right now, I'm just hoping there's football in 2020. Oh, gosh, yes. You bet. You mentioned Cleveland, uh, but let's talk about some of your favorite and least favorite trips that you got to go with with the Bengals. Well, our favorite trip inside the division, Baltimore. I mean, you fly into BWI, Baltimore, Washington International Airport, and Paul Doherty showed me this because we were on a flight together. He says, Chick, let's take the light rail. I'm there, God, what's that? Okay, we go down to baggage claim, and it's a, a light rail, a, a, a railroad that takes you right down to uh, past the, the baseball stadium, Camden, takes you right down to Camden Yards and the Inner Harbor that's just beautiful. And the Inner Harbor has a big ship there, uh, they have the, uh, I think, the world's largest aquarium there. You can take a boat over to Fells Point where the, they have all these funky bars and, and uh, restaurants. Oh, Baltimore, the Inner Harbor, and we stayed at the uh, Baltimore Inner Harbor Marriott. And I'll never forget opening the curtains to my room the first time I'm there, and I'm looking at home plate at Cam- Camden Yards. And so... I've got it bad for the Baltimore Orioles, as bad as they are. I love it there. And, uh, and then we would walk to the, uh, the stadium, you know, from the hotel. And, uh, and you know how that warehouse is out in right field at Camden Yards? Yeah. And you, you walk, there's a huge walkway down toward the football stadium. And as you're walking in front of that warehouse where the home runs get hit, they put a base, like a, they, an indentation of a baseball, like Ken Griffey Jr., 420 feet, home run, on a, and then they would put the date on it. So it was really cool to see all these dates uh, out in right field where uh, against the wall, against the concrete, uh, in Camden Yards. Really, really neat. Dan, now, Dan Hort also. And then going to, the, going to the West Coast, I mean, God, San Diego. You you just couldn't beat it. Just spectacular uh, weather and scenery, you name it. Uh, it was difficult to negotiate because it's a naval, you know, Navy town. Mm-hmm. The security at San Diego was the tightest. There were like four checkpoints to get inside that stadium. Jacksonville was the easiest to negotiate. Big parking lot, and it said media on a corner. Man, you just go in, show your ID, your press pass, boom, you go up the elevator, 
to the uh, to the press box. But I will say this, Lee, the best press box food I've ever had, Tampa. Oh, Raymond James Stadium. And I don't want to spend too long boring the, the listeners too bad with this. But you arrive in the morning to a made-to-order omelet. Okay? So I get a ham and cheese omelet. And then that's at like 10 in the morning. About an hour before the game, a full-blown turkey dressing, mashed potatoes, dinner, like a Thanksgiving Day dinner before the game. Okay? So, oh, my God. And then with about two minutes to go in, at halftime, a guy taps me on the shoulder and said, Chick, you better get in line. I'm there for what? He said, we got bananas foster at halftime. <laughs> okay? And then after the game, sandwiches, turkey, uh, ham, uh sandwiches during the game lee they had a candy bar milky way uh three musketeers the uh, snickers the big ones Ooh. whatever kind of candy bar you wanted they had it just take one they're free and then a big freezer with a ice cream bar wow it was just and then, yeah, after the game, sandwiches. Oh, my God, they spoiled us rotten. That was the greatest. That was the awesome. Now, I will say this about Paul Brown Stadium. They have cuisine ter- terrific before the game. And, like, if they're playing the New Orleans Saints, they will have Cajun food. But beef, man, they've got breakfast if you want it. they got beef. they got Paul Brown Stadium's awesome. And then at halftime, they've got Cincinnati-style chili. And then pizza after the game. So Cincinnati has really beefed up since the days at Synergy Field when you had hot dogs, brats, and mats at halftime with potato salad. So it's definitely, it's <laughs> definitely changed a little bit from us. Uh, it has changed, stadium. brother. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, last week uh, Dan Horde mentioned that Baltimore was his favorite stop just because the sight lines and everything were the best in the you, NFL. You're exactly right. They did not – some of the some of the stadiums built press boxes on top of the stadium because where we were at with the beautiful sight lines, those became premier, you know, boxes to be sold to the fans. So, but Baltimore has kept that press box. That is great news. That is pretty fantastic. Yeah. How, how about yeah. some of your least favorite stops or least favorite trips you can remember? Yeah. Uh, let me see. Uh, Arizona. Gosh, they gave us like sandwiches be- before the game. Nothing special at all, and uh, it was kind of tough to negotiate Washington D.C. getting out the FedEx Field, uh, Boston or New England. I remember, gosh, we parked. We had to park a f- long way away. But I'm walking through the uh, parking lot, and a guy hands me a bowl of chili, and uh, so I'm eating chili. With a bag on my shoulder and, 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 and my laptop on the other shoulder, and by the time I got to the to the stadium to check in, my face is just covered with chili. But that, but another fun time was uh, was Kansas City. That was man, just uh, God. The fans at Arrowhead are spectacular. And then, as crazy as it seems, Buffalo. Yeah, you're out in the middle of nowhere in Orchard Park. But when you turn 
when you get in there and then you turn left and go up toward the stadium, it's like a mile away, fans on both sides of the street partying hard, the Buffalo Bills fans. They've got a special place in my heart because they are awesome. I've heard nothing but great things about Buffalo fans, and I mean that's that's huge, and that's great that the Bills yeah hardcore yeah yeah hardcore yeah Uh, love it love it and the Bills yeah I I I like them and I like that stadium it's it's old and the same with Arrowhead it's it's still beautiful after all these years however old it is and then. uh, the old Ralph Wilson Stadium, it's changed names several times. and uh, But, yeah, you walk in, like, at the plaza level, and it is a bowl that sits down. And, yeah, it's it's really, really a cool, cool atmosphere. Do you have any other favorite Bengals that you've worked with in your time as the writer? Well, uh, you know, love the PR staff of – Jack Brennan, he has since retired, but P.J. Combs, their staffs, great. Mike Bren- when my dad passed in 2001, mm-hmm. two guys called me. One was Jerry Faust, the former Moeller and Notre Dame football coach, University of Akron coach, mm-hmm. and Mike Brown. And Mike left a message on my recorder. He says, Chick, I want to talk to you. I'm going to call you back because I want to talk to you personally. with the passing of your father and he did call back and how how impressive is that that he called twice to talk to me wishing me condolences and i I will always remember that and uh, so mike does he want to win you better believe he wants to win and he's showing it this year but gosh uh lee as far as players go i love the auburn guys Mm-hmm. Willie Willie Anderson, phenomenal, and Takeo Spikes, love those guys. But yeah, Jeff Blake, Darnay Scott, Carson Palmer was very very good to me because uh, I met him at the combine, and we got along great, and he treated me extremely well. And Chad, oh my God, I could write a book, another book on Chad, mm-hmm. uh, because he. A quick Chad story here. Uh, he he came up to everybody at Thanksgiving. We we had, they had an open locker room right around Thanksgiving, and he went up to every beat writer saying, "I want to write a story this long," and he spreads his arms as wide as he possibly could. <laughs> all the other beat writers said, "You're crazy," you know, basically blew him off. And I said, well, "What do you want to do?" And he said, "I want to write a story this long." I said, "I'll tell you what. I'll talk to my boss, see what we can work out." Well, I talked to my boss, Brian Collars, and he said, look, everything will be in Chad's words, but it will be under your byline, you know, with like an editor's note, and then we'll we'll have it in sections, you know, and that's exactly what happened. I met Chad at uh, Jay Alexander's at Rookwood Commons in Norwood and uh, for dinner, and we talked for about an hour. I had the tape recorder going. And then I put that story together, and uh, during the during the conversation, he calls Marvin, and he goes, "Hey, coach, what do you want uh, for Christmas?" Because he's going out on uh, on Black Friday. Yeah, the dude's unbelievable. He's just on fire twenty four seven. 
You can't get another personality like Ocho Cinco. No, no, no. And uh, every time, I mean, he commanded so much attention that, you know, I go in thinking one thing on a Wednesday. Wednesdays were our busiest days during the season because Tuesdays the players are off. The team still might make a transaction, and you've got to be responsible for it, even though you're quote-unquote off that day. You're really never off during a football season. You just weren't. And then Wednesdays, you got an open locker room. You get the coach and player from the opposing team. And you got the open locker room and the quarterback and head coach from your team. So, I mean, you're just bludgeoned with news conferences and information on Wednesday. And that really carries you. You got enough info to write for the rest of the week, even though there's an open locker room on Thursday and maybe some access on Friday. But you've got enough fodder for the rest of the week, man, after a Wednesday. So you mentioned it a while back in this interview that you also officiate some sports. How did you get into that, and which sports do you help officiate? One thing I learned, Lee, uh, and, I, and I mentioned, you know, I didn't want to quit working. I just wanted to do something different. Uh, my daughter played volleyball at Fenwick High School mm-hmm. in the Middletown area, Franklin area, and uh, – I followed her career, and I'm there. Gosh, these guys just stand there, give signals. I kind of like that. You're not running, you know, and I love the sport. So uh, I took classes at uh, the Kettering Rec Center and got certified right after I got uh, finished because I I left the newspaper. The separation was October 1 of 09, and I started officiating right away. And uh, so this, this I'm entering my 12th year as an OHSAA volleyball official. And then, you know, I grew up. I was an umpire in high school. And uh, I'm there, you know what, I'd like to do that again. And a guy told me, if you're going to get back into umpiring, you want to do girls fast pitch softball. Because it's baseball on five cups of coffee. It's a faster game. It is, kind of if is. you watch the college women's World Series, it's spectacular. The, the speed of the game, it's on a condensed field, and a lot can happen, but it's a quicker game. You can get in a girls' doubleheader before a boys' seven-inning game is almost over. But that's, that's stretching it a little bit. But the girls' game is, is quick, it's fast, and I love it. And... And it can be lucrative, you know, because these tournaments on, on summers, there's tournaments every weekend all over Dayton and Cincinnati and Columbus. And it's like, where do you want to go? An umpire. It's amazing. And, uh, and it can be lucrative. So I'm doing all the stuff I love. I'm substitute teaching. I'm doing some radio. I'm umping softball. And I'm refing volleyball. I, I love it all. And I learned, Lee, that it's kind of nice leaving a sporting event when it ends instead of sticking around, interviewing people, trying to find a place to write, setting up your laptop and cranking out a story. And you get to leave. You meet with your partners after the game, talk things over, and then you're gone and you get paid for it. Awesome. I I will say as the announcer at uh, Wright State Softball, yes, uh, it does go by quick. The only thing, though, is the re-entry rule where you can re-enter. I don't know how how different it is. That's 
crazy, isn't it? And you, yeah. as an umpire, you better keep your lineup in check because, yeah, some might try to pull a fast one on you. And, uh, yeah, there's those rules are different, and you just got to uh, pay attention. Yeah. Now, compared but, to baseball, yes, it might be a little slower, but once you're substituted out, you're substituted out. So, but, You know, you're exactly right. Great, and great the one, sports. Yeah, when you go from softball – and then you're umpiring bases in baseball, mm-hmm. and they're, wow, it takes a long time for the ground ball to get to the shortstop in the long throw to first. It is bang, bang, college softball, bang, bang. And, gosh, and it can be that way, too, in, in baseball, because I, I will do some baseball also, especially the bases. And I'm there, wow, it's just a little bit slower than, than softball. And so it's – you love it. You love them both. You really do. The only thing is I wish in college softball UC and Xavier had teams. Uh, they're the only two out of the six in the area that don't because Miami has a team, Wright State, Dayton, and uh, NKU. But, yeah, UC yes. and Xavier, no softball, which, I don't know, it's a little sad. But... Oh, I know. I know. And, wow, Miami's got a beautiful facility. Oh, I got yeah, to umpire do. there. And, uh, you know, this past spring, I had some junior college games all get canceled because of the virus. Uh, Edison State and uh, Sinclair and sad. Yeah. That leads me to my next question. The coronavirus, it's affecting everyone. How bad is it hurting you? Well, uh, no teaching. No substitute teaching this spring since uh, March 13th. That was the last day. It was a Friday. Uh, no radio right now. I'm off until the Reds start playing baseball. No umping and no reffing. Now, ump- umpiring should come back here because uh, starting like the 26th of, uh, of May, I think teams are starting to get together then. And But there's going to be all kinds of restrictions. They're going to want umpires to wear the mask covering our faces on top of the actual face mask itself. So that's going to be very, very difficult. And uh, so I had four jobs. I'm down to none. But, uh, hey, I'm getting a little bit of unemployment from uh, from substitute teaching. And the war chest is doing just fine. And uh, But I just miss being on the radio and uh, miss, miss teaching. I, I just love uh, – my certifications in language arts, uh, love uh, reading, writing, spelling, and speaking, and uh, love English and history. So, but hopefully school's back in. I'm praying that they come back on time in August. And if not, hey, we'll uh, we'll be ready to go whenever the students come back. I'm hoping school's back in session, too, in August, because I'm really looking forward to this uh, high school football season. And especially with the Eastern Cincinnati Conference adding Lebanon, Little Miami, and Winton Woods. It's almost kind of like the Ford Ancient Valley Conference coming back together in a sense. Yeah, I haven't actually studied. I knew that there was a lot of movement there, and I just hope it benefits. Because, you know, Winton Woods has been out there as an independent, you know, for a while. And I think it's just good to get them in a conference. And soft spot in my heart, Lebanon, Ohio, because that's where I started not only my writing career at the Western Star newspaper, a weekly, after I graduated from Ohio State, 
But then my first substitute teaching jobs were also in Lebanon. So I love Lebanon, Ohio. It's a great town. Great, uh, it's a great school, too. The Warriors, good teams. Beautiful, yes. Oh, yeah, they're, uh, their softball is one of the best in the state. There's no doubt. And also it's nice, too, because I think uh, the team I cover is Loveland, and I think they're at Lebanon this year. So that's, uh, that's a nice short trip. So I, uh, I Beautiful. Can't, can't yeah. beat that. Can't beat that. But um, we've, been out to Le- we've been out to Loveland. Yeah, it's, it's great. Oh, that's beautiful, Phil. I love being on top of the press box at Loveland and just seeing how beautiful it is during fall time. It's and they have fireworks there. It's just that's the first time yeah. I've ever heard that for high school football. It's just it's fantastic. Lee, what's funny is growing up on the west side of Cincinnati, it's where a lot of folks say that's where you're born, you work, and you die. You know, on the west side of Cincy. So you need a passport to get off the west side. All right. So, and then going to Ohio State, I just kind of went up I-71, Ohio State, then back to Lebanon, my first job, then all the way up to greater Cleveland for two and a half years at a newspaper called the News Herald from 77 to 79, and then back to Dayton from 79 to 2009. But the beauty of Umpen and Refn, man, I'm over on the east side of Cincinnati. Gosh, I get to see my my buddies went to school at Purcell Marion. Yeah. I get to see Summit, Country Day, the Castle, beautiful school. Yeah. And you get out to Claremont County. I'm seeing Milford. And uh, gosh, I'm getting all over the city. And it's just, just awesome. It's, I mean, people need to realize how great sports are in Cincinnati. And there's no shortage, whatever you like, around 275 or anywhere it's oh yeah i love queen city and i love the gem city too so that's that's why i started this same here same here it's like my second home dayton ohio i try to promote it wherever i go chick for those that want to follow you on social media where do they go well uh i believe i'm the only chick ludwig on facebook (laughs) and i'm pushing (laughs) five thousand uh uh so I kind of use Facebook as my blog, okay, because I don't have one at the the, uh, the radio station. And then Twitter, at Chick Ludwig. So those are the two best ways to uh, to contact me. And last up, for those that are interested in becoming into the journalism field, the broadcasting field, or someone in between, what advice can you uh, give? You know, knowledge is power, and so – the, the one thing that I had going for me when I landed the, the radio job here part on a part-time basis at iHeartMedia Cincinnati is I covered the Bengals for 12 years. So if you have to specialize in an area, great. Or, you know, expand. Get as much knowledge about sports that you possibly can. I was hired as the auto racing writer at the Dayton Daily News. I covered 16 Indianapolis 500s. And I think I shocked Seg Dennison because we'll talk some auto racing, you know. So, uh, so just being knowledgeable about every sport, and then, okay, you've got to become social media savvy. Gosh, I'm working with James Rapine, who is now covering the Bengals for for Sports Illustrated. He's doing Facebook Live when we're on the air together when he worked here. 
doing Facebook live updates. He puts that on our Facebook pages. Boom. Within minutes, hundreds of viewers listening to our little speech, what we're going to be discussing in our three-hour show. So uh, anything you can do, and then you got to promote yourself, you know, like uh, Lee's doing with his podcast here. And uh, and then, man, just uh, waiting for the – just keep pushing hard and waiting for that right break. And, uh, man, I, I've just been very, very fortunate. Um, working at the Ohio State Lantern, getting that experience, uh, working on a – I was jealous of some buddies from Ohio State who got big-time jobs right away. I had to work my way up from a weekly to a 35,000 circulation daily and then to a major metropolitan daily like the Dayton Daily News. So working your way up, you can't get discouraged. And, uh, hey, start your own podcast. Uh, Let's see your face on Yahoo. You just never know what could happen with uh, do a blog. And it's just tough right now with newspapers. You know, it's – I hate to say they're dying, but but they are. And I think there will always be newspapers because there's still going to be folks that want to hold that thing over their morning coffee and breakfast and uh, and, and read it and hold it like you would a book. I'm not into a Kindle. I want to hold a book and read it. And uh, so knowledge is power and just keep uh, get social media savvy and uh, promote yourself and just keep pushing. Chick, I will wrap up episode 148 with this final question. Uh, you covered a lot of sports, but is there any other sport that you want to try covering, umpiring, refing, broadcasting? Is there any other sport you want to see? Well, uh, the one thing that I always wanted to do, now I did cover college basketball with Wright State, and I got to cover two Final Fours. In 1991 in Indianapolis and 92 in Minneapolis, both Duke victories. So I did cover college basketball. Always wanted the University of Dayton beat. That I It was just timing. It just never worked out. But that's fine because I got to cover professional football. But 16 Indy 500s, that was enough. And, uh, and I covered some golf. And uh, so a little, there was just a little bit of everything for me. And I wouldn't change anything about my career. And uh, as far as umping and reffing, you know, high school, that, that's good enough. I would, I would love to do some college softball. But, hey, it's, uh, it's all good. Social Security kicks in at age 66 this July, Lee. So hey. it's all good. Wouldn't it be awesome if this show could continue and get it sponsored, and maybe we make a little coin. That'd be would that be awesome? That would be pretty yeah. nice. Chick, thank yes, you sir. so much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure and a lot of fun listening to the stories from back in the day. Lee, I can't thank you enough for thinking of me. Really appreciate it. Hey, let's do it again sometime. Sounds good, Chick. This has been Episode 148 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, and we'll talk to you again for Episode one. 49. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen.
To subscribe to the podcast, please visit theleewmowen.com slash podcasts. From there, you can choose your favorite platform, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and many more. Interact with the podcast and host on Twitter at the Lee W. Mallon and at Sunday Pod. Like the Facebook page, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, and download the free Flick Chat app. Then search for the local Sunday Sports Group to submit your future Mowen's mailbag questions. The closing theme is Lights Go Down by Dan Hennig, provided by the YouTube Music Library Collection. This is Lee W. Mowen, and I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please join me again next week on the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast.